what's so unique about what we're experiencing and what we're working with is that this is a true innovation that uh, we have not seen in the construction industry for probably 100 years, uh, if not greater. What 3D printing is ultimately doing is, is adding a new process of assembly that is using automation and programming. So right now, with the robotic technology that we use, uh, we have the capacity in a single level to print up to 14 feet. Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here, and get ready to invest to win. Welcome investors. This is Garrett, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, I have a guest, Jeff Olofsson. Jeff, how are you? I'm very well. How are you doing, Garrett? I'm good. Uh, in the pre-show uh, audience, we were just discussing how we don't actually know each other and introduced through uh, a mutual friend. Um, just because uh, my friend Mike knows that I'm have a real estate podcast and he thought that Jeff would make an interesting guest. So without spoiling it, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and your background? I think first of all, I'd like to, you know, thank, thank you for having me on your podcast. I, this is kind of always a, a new environment for me, very active in the construction community, but uh, always find myself in board meetings and, and never really find myself in these digital interviewing spaces. So this, this is a kind of a first for me. Uh, but yeah, no, my name is Jeff Olson. I am the CEO of operations at Gardon Construction. We are a second uh, generational family enterprise here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. We've been pretty well operating the last almost 40 years now in Manitoba, as well as across Western Canada, uh, into the Arctic regions as well. Basically, my, uh, my responsibilities as uh, CEO of operations for Gardon are pretty much to see the every, uh, overseeing the day-to-day -day objectives uh, of uh, activities of the company. Um, a lot of collaboration with our leadership team, uh, that being our project managers and our supervisors out in the field. And the big thing is just, again, uh, me being responsible for the strategic initiatives of the company, looking always to evolve our business model uh, as we continue to move in as this second generational family. My, my work experience, uh, my professional or my academic experience, I'm a a certified building construction technician. Um, I'm also a certified gold seal project manager with the Canadian Construction Association and have been project managing for uh, almost, uh, we'll say, well, actually over 30 years now. And again, completely dedicated to our family's business, which is, of course, general contracting uh, in, in Manitoba. So that's wow. a little bit about uh, us. <laughs> that, is, that is quite the resume. What does the operation look like? I mean, guard on construction, I've, I've sort of heard of it, but give us a little bit of perspective. You said work up north, like how, how many employees are there and what, uh, what types of projects do you guys well, mainly work on? 
Yeah, we're a, we're a small to medium-sized enterprise, uh, family business. Again, like I've said, going into a second our second succession of ownership. Our focuses have been primarily on construction management, general contracting, servicing the commercial industry. Uh, what I mean by that would be uh, institutional contracts in nature. So that's all three levels of government, uh, working with municipalities. Uh, also, private sector uh, does involve working with uh, property managers. Um, a big niche part of our business is uh, actually uh, uh, building envelope reconstruction uh, as well. Uh, we expanded our services into concrete restoration rehabilitation to, again, um, extend our profile and customer serve that our, our customer service profile, pardon me. Uh, to include restoration, uh, to assist clients uh, that have property that need, whether it be uh, balcony repairs, plaza decks, parkades, we try to keep, you know, a, a complete suite. And of course, now with our most recent endeavor, uh, moving into uh, 3D concrete printing, uh, additive manufacturing, uh, just again, to, exp you know, build on our, our, our portfolio. What in terms of services we can offer to our customers. Okay. So, um, so building from the ground up, you, you mentioned, right? Pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of, we, we, we have been flow. It depends. It, it, everything is cyclical. We find, uh, in, in terms of where we find our services, uh, again, a lot of our Northern work has involved, uh, you know, uh, we've participated in construction projects that, uh, may have uh, included uh, water treatment plants, waste treatment plants, uh, uh, EMS facilities for a lot of rural communities, uh, Métis communities, uh, reserve community. Uh, a lot of our Arctic participation, uh, we, we did a very uh, long stint in the Churchill region, servicing all of the uh, provincial housing uh, and uh, the reconstruction rebuild of uh, a lot of the infrastructure there as well as their main facility. You know, we've, we've always participated, whether it's the health authority up at the time, uh, we, we've worked with them as well as the town uh, in terms of their, um, I guess they've had a, a city or a town center, a big, uh, big facility. So yeah, we've we've just kind of go where the where the where the work is, and as of late, uh, we've noticed in the last five years, uh, big a lot of initiatives with a lot of property management companies, um, focusing on their portfolio or their inventory of uh, uh, facilities, their stock. Uh, we we facilitate we we do collaborate a lot with one of the premier engineering firms in in Winnipeg who really focus their business on helping. Uh, Pretty much bring um, thermal enhancements to to their to their uh, to their properties or to their portfolios of, of of building, and yeah, we've just kind of found ourselves now just really focusing on uh, focusing on those construction. Uh, so building could, envelope stuff. Up. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but building okay. envelope. I mean, that's um, like insulation, siding, that type of thing? On well, yeah, a lot of emphasis. Or? Yeah, a lot of the vertical space. Uh, so when I say vertical, we do a lot of uh, apartments, condominiums, um, where clients are now looking to capture. I know there's a lot of grant incentive out there for ownership to enhance uh, windows, patio doors, as well as expanding on if, uh, depending on uh, the thermal design, 
enhancing the thermal designs of these facilities, putting in rain screen applications, uh, new roof, new roof complete. Um, we just found that we've leaned, lent into that work and, and that's been really a driving, what we're seeing as a driving factor for ourselves to, to really keep the side, that side of the commercial business going. And, and thus why we've stepped into concrete restoration rehabilitation, because we find that there was overlapping services uh, that dealt with the infrastructure of, you know, particularly those owners, facility owners that had, say, precast balconies as an example, um, that need restoration. Uh, we found a lot of the service was, uh, uh, was needed uh, and we wanted to be that one-stop shop. So. So yeah, it, 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 you know, we don't, we, we conch, you know, for our, we'll say, um, the best way to describe it, our self-performed work, uh, we focus uh, primarily on the window, window and kind of balcony door applications. Uh, we subcontract a lot of our envelope work with our teams that we prefer to work with. And then of course we have our in-house restoration team that focuses all on the concrete uh, restoration rehabilitation so it's uh it it seems to so far work but uh it it, it seems to be that there's big demand for our service um just knowing the, the the property stock that's out there right now that uh is uh needing a lot of rework to say the least okay yeah that's a long time to be in business um one of the questions i wanted to ask you because Yes, through the last few years with COVID, some small, you know, small construction companies have thrived. You know, lots of people had expendable cash. But how how have you managed to adapt over those, you know, two generations? Like things have changed so much and yet you guys are still still here and, and successful. You know, I, I think well, one, being a family business, I think you always work with different intentions. We, we as a family have built a very strong culture and we've kind of let that culture, you know, uh, extend into, we'll say, non-family members. But I, I think the biggest thing was uh, being a small to medium-sized enterprise, being agile for first and foremost. Uh, we, we, in a lot of cases, were, uh, especially during the, the pandemic, we were able to pivot our services. And again, bear in mind the type of work that we do was kind of work that really was essential for a lot of our clients. It was important for them, uh, especially in the space of envelope reconstruction to get, get the work done. I mean, it did pose some challenges for us. Uh, there was a lot of stop uh, construction going on. Uh, stop work orders were issued with some of our clients because of course these were all occupied facilities um but you know i think also i mean really it was it was it was family ownership really did prepare to deal with a contingency plan if in the event um in and what we'll call operating reserves um that we always did have an operating reserve uh to ensure uh, at minimum, uh, the essential workers, in this case, our office staff, uh, were able to continue to work full time. Uh, it was unfortunate that our hourly staff, and that wasn't of our doing, but the challenges of and that comfort level of bringing construction workers back into occupied spaces, you know, during during the pandemic was was challenging. 
But I think, you know, as we were able to overcome those, uh, those challenges, again, I benefit to the resilience of our team, our ability of always wanting to uh, continue to expand our knowledge base. Again, being small and agile, we don't have those big corporate overheads that potentially could deal with maybe some board members or shareholders challenges because, of course, Gardon is uh, independently owned, family owned. So it, it doesn't really require the rigorous removal of, a, of a, an advisory board or a, a board of uh, representatives that are dictating the direction in which we go. So I, I think uh, in those in those times, it, it really has allowed us to uh, um, to allow us to thrive um, and and succeed. So I, I think we've been fortunate fortunate in a lot of a lot of ways that way. Okay. No, um, the pivot. I mean, that's uh, that's why I brought you on the show. Mike said, "Yeah, my buddy Jeff's getting into three D concrete printing," and I went. Oh, 3D printing. And I went, wait, what? <laughs> so why? Yeah, let, let's get into it. That's what the audience has been waiting for. Tell me about this uh, unique 3D printing technique. I guess we could start 3D printing. Uh, let, I mean, let's maybe talk about what it is. Uh, 3D printing really is for us is, is, is we feel as if it's an exciting innovation uh, that now we want to incorporate uh, with our, with our customer offerings. but. The technology itself, uh, also known as additive manufacturing and construction, is pretty much it's it's just a construction technique that involves use, utilizing special designed three D, uh, we'll say three D uh, printers that print concrete materials that are pretty much high performing, ultra performing materials. So they 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 work outside the realm of your typical readycrete, and what these materials allow us. Uh, the opportunity uh, to do is be very creative in a three-dimensional space uh, that allows us to to pretty much print unique objects and structures. Again, utilizing the 3D printed equipment, uh, the application is basically um, a layer upon layer approach of material uh, that is placed in accordance to the 3D modeling. And then, of course, it once that uh, model has been properly evaluated and that model has been properly simulated and tested, it affords us the opportunity to, the outcome is the, the intended structure or uh, whether it's the element, it could be a, a structural element, whether as an example as a, a girder or a beam to, you know, uh, unique things, what we call uh, kind of on-demand prints, which would be typical you know, your patio furnitures to your outdoor kitchens to you name it. You know, what's so unique about this space is that it gives us that creativity to be whoever we want to be. Uh, but our focus really is going to be on the residential community and being um, um, a provider, um, a builder in that space for customers who want to move into kind of next generation facility. So um, that's kind of what it's all about. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I think the average person kind of has heard of 3D printing. To me, being, un you know, uninitiated, I just think of plastic. Is this 
pretty well the same thing, except you're doing it with layer upon layer of concrete. Correct. I mean, the the application or the theory of the 3D printing is is all one and the same, right? You 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 model whatever it is that you're trying to create in 3D modeling softwares. From those models, you want to ensure that the object is refined, um, which goes through process of ensuring that from a what we'll call building information modeling environment into um, just a additional software modeling environment that allows us uh, the ability to refine it to ensure that it really works with uh, the limitations of the printer. So all of that 3D, we'll say digital compiled information is then reduced down into 2D elevation, which then moves itself down into a what they call a um, a slicer or the the software that's needed uh, to print our program in into our printer so it's this step of of workflow which is going to be new to industry and this is this is why i think uh, uh, what's so unique about what we're experiencing and what we're working with is that this is a true innovation that uh, we have not seen in the construction industry for probably 100 years, uh, if not greater, to a point that, yes, we've framed a way and we've laid masonry block a way and we've installed our veneers and our stuccos a way. All through all those kind of disciplines, I mean, we've had advancements and modernizations, but what 3D printing is ultimately doing is is adding a new process of assembly that is using automation and programming, uh, which is, you know, different than what the industry is, is, is accustomed to. And so when you think about 3D printing, yes, it's very similar to these little resin printers you, you see on your desk. I just say that these are big boy toys now, kind of like kids and their little Tonkas. Uh, this is now the printer that actually will print. And, and again, the, the type of technology that we are embracing is a robotic arm, but there are different systems. And, and anyone who's paying attention to 3D concrete printing out there, um, they will know, they'll see all these different forms of 3D printers. Uh, there's what is referred to as a gantry printer, which is a very complex frame, which is like almost like a large scale desktop printer. Um, you know, it has its frame with its gantry beam and it, it prints it, it in elevation and it, it does the full scale print. Uh, and then there's the segmented approach, which we like, uh, which we think is more adaptive to a lot of the challenges. And that's, you know, urbanization is a, is a big piece. Uh, so it doesn't need a lot of, a lot of equipment. So we, we, we like the idea of the robotic arm, but then again, the process of it all, how you design, how you program, all of very similar to what you would do with a normal resin printer, um, just to keep the conversation simple. I mean, different softwares, but ultimately the workflow is is the same. I'm I'm fascinated because for a resin printer, I mean, again, I, I know nothing about 3D printing other than to know that it exists. So with a resin printer, is that resin wet? Does it have to dry? Is it spitting it out in a semi- you know, solid state? Like how, how does that work with the resin, like the desktop resin printers? Well, with that, I'm not, you know, we're not, our skill set, my skill set isn't definitely three, like that type of printing. 
I would imagine, you know, that you're dealing with extruded materials that go through a process of, you know, meltdown. And, and again, when it melts itself down, it, it, it reapplies itself in a very liquid form to, to lay out. So when you think about concrete and how does it really apply to concrete? So what we say is that, you know, these materials are cementitious in nature, but what's so unique about these materials that differ from ready mix is that the, the additive materials that are in there, these materials, in essence, don't cure in hours. These, these materials that we are working with cure in minutes. Um, and what's so unique about the innovation of the cement mortar material or the aggregated design material um, is that it has the ability to structurally support itself layer upon layer upon layer. And ultimately, that's you know, the 3D process is that every subsequent layer has to be strong enough to hold its its own strength or its own weight, pardon me, not own strength, but its own weight. So when you think about concrete masonry block as an example, and, and they use their mortars, their mortars are very low structural designed in nature. And with concrete masonry block, you can only go so high as an example uh, without uh, their, the need to uh, lose in essence, the wall, because what happens is that the weight of the assembly over time will just push the border out at the bottom. So if you think about a 3D printer, a concrete printer, now that's printing a structural layer, just imagine that as you extrude that layer of material, that layer is already curing and it cures at an accelerated rate faster than we can. I mean, it's not to say that our ready mixes don't develop for high early concretes, but this material is pretty much already actively curing the minute it comes out of the printer head. So as we say, print our singular layer before we go to the secondary layer, and typically the, the what we, you know, when we think about when is your material cured, like we said, we, we deal with minutes. Ultimately, the recommendations right now um, is that providing that that layer has had two minutes to set, it is structurally safe enough to print another layer on top of it. So as long as we work with that two minute set times between layers, uh, ultimately we can stack as many layers providing that and go as long and high as we want, as long as we stay within that parameter of, 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 of installation. Yeah. Uh, give me, give me a little bit of context here. Size, high, height, like how big of a, a structure can you typically build with 3D concrete printing? Okay, so right now with the robotic technology that we use, uh, we have the capacity in a single level to print up to 14 feet. Um, wow. Safely, we've, our partners have tested um, uh, a seven foot elevation and safely, but like to be true, genuinely safe, and, and this will be our practice at first, is to probably you know, print no more than 40 to 48 inches. And, and just again, to learn the behaviors of the material, because this again is still pioneering. This is still frontier work. Uh, uh, again, you're, we are in an industry right now that doesn't have uh, standards or practices. Uh, that, those are just in the process right now where institutions like, um, like NIST, um, Again, NIST being uh, in the United States, uh, the uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology, and that falls under the uh, U.S. Department of Commerce. 
Um, they are taking leadership on standardization as well as uh, ASTM and ISO. So there's there's a lot of activity going on right now, knowing that this technology is evolving. But as we start to standardize, we will cer- certainly know if a four foot, seven foot, fourteen foot wall can be built to an acceptable standard that engineers are going to be you know content with. The known highest so far right now is Cobot International with their Cobot 2 gantry printer. And it's a customized gantry printer that they have specifically developed for General Electric can print up to 70 feet. And they're using now this technology uh, to develop all GE's uh, wind tunnel, further wind tunnel uh, technology and innovation research. And now they're moving to 3D printing and using 3D printing as, as the, the base materials for all future wind tunnel labs. So it, it's, it's, it has its possibilities uh, to, in time, achieve some pretty incredible things so it's uh but then again for us it's robotic we're working with the technology company rick technology is who we collaborate with they're looking to push to an 18 foot uh 20 foot you know uh, robotic arm that can print uh from ground level to that height which we're excited if they do reach uh and achieve that innovation because then, of course, that would be a real big solution for us when it comes to uh, second-story housing, and and what does that look for uh, for our opportunities in the future? So, did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project, or even dealing with long-term tenants, and they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I'm I'm blown away. I mean, I, I can't, you mentioned innovation. I, I would use the word disruption. I mean, there wow. is disruption. There is disruption in this. Absolutely. You know, there there is mean, disruption in this. 14 foot, whatever you want to build. I mean, typically you have to, what, you have to get a form, right? It's going to be, it's going to be flat on top. I mean, unless you're going to be, I don't know anything about concrete. Do they have pressurized vessels that you can actually build a form and then break that form up? So it, it has different shapes to it, or is it typically just rectangles and squares and 
whatever you can build out, out of the forms is what the shape of the concrete takes, right? Well, and you have to understand because you are in an environment now that is that is 3D in nature, right? So when I say that the minute you enter into that 3D world, right now we don't, I mean, we don't necessarily build truly. I mean, there is software out there building information modeling or BIM that I think everybody understands. That technology is out there, but it's not fully embraced by the design community. Uh, they do it for very unique renderings and, you know, you can get some uh, very good presentations. But does the, the, does the design community and the engineering community truly embrace the, the modeled environment? And, and that's where there's the great debate. Uh, they they kind of play in both worlds. Nobody has really truly embraced a 3D modeled environment with our new incorporated company. That is the that is going to be our kind of mantra or our our push to to create a different pre construction design development environment for builder and designer. Uh, which is truly what we're saying is we truly want to embrace the the 3D digital environment. And when that happens, you know, there's a lot of benefit that comes out of it. So the architecture, when you start thinking about resins, you know, you think about your little resin or your little 3D printers, they can create unique objects. We equally have the capacity, like our printer does have the capacity to print in a seven to nine axis environment without changing a beat. And this is where we feel that we're going to push beyond conventional construction because conventional construction can only go so far before they have to pivot. So you can only build, as an example, a wall to a certain height, and then there's a readjustment, and then you have to reset your crew up. Uh, no different than a concrete beam, as an example. You can only build so high, and then as you're starting to bring in angle or you're starting to bring in shape or form, you almost have to stop and let the, the lower-level construction kind of cure out. You kind of strip your assemblies, and then you reset up your assemblies again and try to form the next-level assembly. So what, what we're seeing now is um, because of the advancement of the material, it's free forming. So based on the layers of the thickness layers, so typically a, a layer is about 20 millimeters. But if we start dialing down that, that, that layer design, which makes for a longer print, but the level of detail increases. And what we're ultimately saying is that there's really going to be no change in cost. So when I build a wall in a house that could have curves or I could build a wall in a house that could have alcoves, I could, and as long as we've simulated, we've designed it, we've simulated it, we've tested, um, for me at no cost, extra cost, and this is, this is where that cost saving comes into the client. We don't, we, we don't have to charge extra for it, right? So we just allow the automation to take control. And again, that automation is replacing uh, the workforce that, you know, we're so desperately fighting for um, and creating the fact that we have elevation of 14 feet eliminates our need for scaffolding and ladders and, and fall, fall protection, fall rest. So we, we even got this safety component, which helps keeps our construction down. So, you know, we see the possibilities of, of many things and it, it's quite exciting with what is, you know, really in the future for for this technology it it, it definitely is um uh, something something remarkable 
say the least. Yeah. Well, I mean, speak to me about why. The why of garden construction, 40-year company, why are you, what motivated you or inspired you to go into 3D printing? You know, the funny thing, it was, to be honest, I mean, we've always, I've, you know, I've always seen Gardon construction. We've always been a, an adapter of technology. Um, we, uh, we have been on our digital journey now for, I would say, 12 to 13 years. Um, we've always looked to try to use technology and the automation through technology to help us with our work, our tasks at hand. Uh, because I'm a firm believer that in a lot of these platforms that we work with, uh, there's a lot of automation and there's a lot of intelligence that is, that are in these softwares that help us do better and we can coordinate better. And so access to information was a very vital part. So we've always believed into the, in that tech space. But coming out of the, the pandemic, what we've noticed was this unique challenge of supply chain. Um, the unique challenge of of freight, we we saw, and we are still seeing the impacts of those that have decided a, a different career path, and and those that uh, were on the cusp of retirement or retiring. We we found ourselves as a small to medium sized enterprise in a little bit of a difficult place to compete with the bigger firms, um, the likes, you know. The big boys will say, uh, you know, we were getting outbid. We were all fighting. It, it, it seemed we, it, it, the industry uh, commercially has has got really nasty where, you know, we're stealing employees from each other, workers from each other. And, and all these are really are lateral moves. They don't really gain anything. Maybe it helps one company succeed in, in their mission to keep their revenues uh, and their profits alive. But in the end, are they really building the culture that is necessary? And, and we're seeing change in government, uh, government's attitude towards the environment and the government's attitude towards social, uh, social governance. And then a real big piece was the supply chain or the tendering procurement of these very government agencies that are making things very difficult for commercial business to compete we've kind of gone down a path of, of which i feel is a very dangerous path of uh, competitive bidding um, and this manipulation with taxpayers money and something that you know we may have had as a construction management services we're finding that um, you know the procurement industry or the the tendering industry is is this push to drive they want the absolute most from you and it's this push to the drive to the bottom so we kind of looked at it and said hey you know this is disruptive enough that you know what we could say you know forget this and forget this commercial industry and, and all it's what seem to be increasingly bad habits and actually start and look as you know as you look to asia pacific and you look to the middle east and you look to europe and you look to uh, the UK, what you're seeing is their full adaption of Industry 4.0, and and we're moving into this fourth industrial revolution right before our eyes. And yet, here we are coming out of pandemic in Manitoba, and we're actually taking backward steps. You know, our government has even reduced the our sustainable uh, uh, criteria requirements when it comes to commercial build to make things more affordable. 
And yet everywhere else in the world, everybody's going the other direction. But why, why in Manitoba, we're going in the opposite direction. We just didn't want to participate in that in anymore. Um, I mean, we are going to continue to support our commercial business uh, and support our clients and those that see, you know, that want to build on efficiency and energy efficiency. But with the new, our new endeavor and, and our push into additive manufacturing or 3D printing, we are actually starting to see extreme adjustments when it comes to construction, you know, pollution, when it comes to true environmental stewardship. And some will argue, well, hey, you're using concrete, which is the biggest violator of materials uh, when it comes to carbon emission and its contribution to carbon emission. But I would preface and I would ask those people to be patient because what's coming out of it is innovation of decarbonized materials. And it is coming very, very fast where there is going to be low base, no base cement materials that are going to be available soon, uh, where, you know, those that want to speak about carbon emissions and the disasters and the, and how bad cement can be, we are trying to embrace that challenge. And we're trying to really look at, can we, you know, use recycled materials, the very materials that we test with, can we create aggregates from those materials? You know, so we want to look at a, a almost like a circular economy of how can we, what we use in our waste, can we, we put back? So what we found with 3D printing is that it was lending into all these challenges that, you know, everyone wants to ignore and it started to speak. So it was moving us in the right direction and moving us away from our competition, moving us into our own space where we could be the professional and actually start to meet the needs, whether it's environmental, whether it's social or whether it's governance, we could start to meet the needs of the, that are truly important. You know, the big thing for me is thinking about what Mother Nature and, and, and the environment in which we're dealing with a lot of this environmental change. A lot of our business model is to push into the rural and indigenous communities because these high risk areas, especially with forest fires, uh, we're seeing our go to design wood framed facilities cannot bear nor are they the right structures in these high risk communities you know we're starting to see the advent and the benefit of just you know start looking at building with the right mindset right you know start looking at building and developing with with purpose you know and and start thinking about multiple generational ownership when we start thinking about sustainable communities but we're thinking that we can be a solution for people. We're not going to say we want it all. But for those that have challenged that maybe want to live in these high-risk areas, but they, they can't get the right builder to build for them, we think that 3D printing will be that. Honestly, uh, Jeff, it's like you're answering all the questions I was actually going to ask you about the environmental impact. So thank you so much for that thorough explanation. Can you give me some case examples of where you see this? Like, are we talking walls? Are we talking staircases? Are we talking like foundational building structures? And then are these built on site and do they need to be delivered? i sorry, built in the factory and then do they need to be delivered on site? Like, what, what are the applications here? Well, with the technology that we have invested in, that was one of the big pieces. Like, it took us a year to study that uh, because you just don't go into 3D printing, concrete 3D printing and saying... Let's acquire a printer. I mean, um, and let's start printing. And you, what 
those that are going to want to step into this market space are going to really have to understand what the the process is with robotics again it's more of a minimalized approach uh which we see is beneficial for for moving and the the unit that we've invested in is a mobile unit so because we only can ultimately work six months out of the year we have the opportunity to bring our printer to the job site and we could manufacture the walls right there in continuous monolithic karma you know um, uh, monolithic pour uh, right on the site. Um, and in the winters, we just bring our printer in. And for those projects that say we want to precast, because then we, again, depending on the client and what their preferences are. So we're finding ourselves as a builder now that we have the opportunity to build on site like a conventioner could build. And we also have the manufacturing capabilities to create precast elements to assemble and print deliver and 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 or print deliver and assemble at a later date so the model for us is to to be both available on site and to be available in the warehouse and then again um these can be walls these can be um We've seen uh, little packages for whether we call them, you know, utility sheds or even examples of disaster relief uh, structures. Um, some of our what we call pre-manufactured products that we're looking at, are, of course, are all structural element in nature. Uh, whether it's beams or girders, uh, we're also seeing staircases that can be printed, uh, staircases, landings, uh, patio furnitures. You know, so if we decide to shift, and this is what's so unique about this market space for us, is that we can pivot and it's very agile, which kind of leads into who we are as a company is always trying to be agile. So depending on the demand and where we need to go, uh, this technology lends itself to um, doing whatever the customer wants. I mean, if customers want to customize a one-off, we can, we can create that environment and service for them. Um, we can create that facility for them. We got a customer that wants 10 up. We can create that uh, where it's printable, you know, floor plans that all follow the one design. Again, at the end of the day, what we are creating, this is all computative. This is all computative design or what they call is parametric, parametric design. Ultimately, through all that hard work and pre-construction, it really, you know, Gary, it boils down to a USB stick that all that work and data is loaded and all we need to do at the end of the day is just put it into the printer and let it print so it it's it's crazy even how when we really start looking at as builds and 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 providing maintenance data for our clients and it it, it really is going to lend to a revolutionized industry and we we really are excited that this is the direction that we see it can go and and we want to build, we want to be that leader in that space to, to build the right kind of environment um, that I think not just the, the, the designers, but the customer will be happy with. I mean, you mentioned some challenges. Obviously, I, I imagine there's adoption. You mentioned engineering. What other types of challenges um, do you see in the near future before you're fully able to get the industry to embrace this? 
Well, there's there definitely is the the code of the the codes the code authority is 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 one thing that we are really focusing on. Our strategy is to really bring them on as a partner, and not present these projects to them last minute. But we want them to be part of the whole design process. What we've done at Gardon is because of we know we know it's challenging, and the materials are going to be the big thing, right? Um, the concepts of the build are very similar to whether we say it's concrete masonry block or it's a kind of inverted ICF, right? You know, if you think of ICF design and construction, it's insulation, insulation, concrete, and the mental. The 3D printing is just the reverse of that. It's structural layer on the outside, structural layer on the inside, insulation in the middle. And though where that leads to is thermal mass design. What's exciting about what could come out of it through these collaborations with our with the code and the authorities having jurisdiction is a better understanding of of wall assembly and its performances so you know our push today with a lot of the wall assemblies that we are building is our wall assemblies are getting way too complicated like when you think about our push for energy efficiency and high efficiency walls i mean you could have anywhere from 4 to 6 trade contractors in on a bill which to me is is becoming ridiculous. Now, just imagine if a 3D printer and the, the wall design was accepted. We are talking about a wall, exterior already extruded and finished and accepted, an interior wall, which has the same extrusion, the same build, and the same finish and is accepted. You just got your mechanical electrical to rough in, your insulator to put in, your walls, uh, your windows and your doors, and your paint finish and you're done. And you probably have a higher performing wall, less, uh, you know, in, in terms of less impact of error when it when when you start to look at your quality assurance. So what we're seeing is that we can deconstruct and yet still be highly efficient and highly energy efficient and highly cost effective, even though we're going into and using a stronger material. Because again, we have to bear in mind these prescriptive wall assemblies, drywall, poly, uh, wood framing, insulations, air barriers, secondary rain screens, you know, build out attachments of sorts, uh, veneers of different types. You know, you start to look at that wall assembly compared to, well, we're just going to print this wall. <laughs> and that's really it. It's, it's the print. It's just the except. But then again, it's, it's, there's going to have to be a shift. There's going to have to be consumer education, you know, are customers going to embrace uh, concrete printed wall assemblies, right? This is, this is what's new to us. So this is what I think, you know, a lot of education, a lot of uh, open houses. Um, that's why we've actually partnered with all of the academic institutions here in Winnipeg, uh, University of Manitoba under the civil engineering department, under the faculty of architecture, architecture we partnered with when it comes to Red River, we're talking with uh, the groups uh, TACAM, which is, of course, uh, aerospace uh, and uh, manufacturing, and then BTAC, which is, of course, building uh, efficiencies. You know, these are going to be our stakeholders because part of this is learning from what we can do, but then creating micro-credential programming and, and next generation work, because that's what also has to happen in the space as well. So uh, there's just... Lots going on <laughs> to say yeah. the least. Yeah, wow. lots going on. Yeah. Um, so. I actually thought when Mike introduced us, I thought, hey, okay, you're bringing this technique to Winnipeg, but like literally, this is like you're on the forefront of the wave. This, I mean, yeah. 
We're yeah. pioneering. This is Silicon Valley of the 70s. This is where this is where we are. And this is what's unique about it. And it's finally great that our stakeholders, the the institutional, the academic community is listening. We have strong partners in in National Research Council of Canada uh, because, of course, they've been pushing towards decarbonization. Now we can introduce uh, the automated or the additive manufacturing component because some of the statistics, Garrick, that we're seeing is that globally, uh, this industry maybe in 2020, we'll say 2018, was maybe a $20 million industry. You know, when you look at the, you do any market research on it, the reports that we're seeing, the global reports that we're seeing is that they're anticipating by 2030, this is going to be a $145 billion industry, which is going to suggest a compound annual growth, whether that's in investment or sales, and whether you believe the numbers or not. And we're actually trying to leverage those numbers down because we think those numbers are, are high. But if they are do prove, then that'd be pretty remarkable. But we're looking at an 85% to potentially 95% compound annual growth year over year for the next five years in this space. So it, it it's bigger than even us at the end of the day. And well, that's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm thinking the trickle-down effect. Uh, I mean, you, you said workers, you said materials, wood forms, safety, environment, uh, government adaption, uh, and not, not to mention, you know, the detractors out there because they don't want to give up a piece of their market share, right? Well, and that's what we're seeing, right? We're, we're going to see the ready mix industry here in Manitoba, I think is, um, they're going to be challenged because their bread and butter is really a housing industry, which I think there's a place for both, you know, um, because again, how we look and, and, and again, the look and feel of these facilities are going to be different than your typical residential built facility. Um, you're going to see a change in, in our approach to design. Um, one of the big moves for us is that you're not going to see a lot of these units with basements. We're not a believer in basements, and I don't know why anybody would want to be building a basement here in Manitoba. But we continue to build basements, and that becomes an added feature. And now we've got them as, you know, hey, look, we can develop the space, but we create all these problems with this developed space. Um, so we want to really push the level of architecture here in Manitoba too, to a different to a different height. And what's so unique is that, you know, custom builders are on a – they're all on a based on a on a subcontract model. I don't think you're going to find a lot of subcontractors are going to want to invest in half a million million dollar printers to to create this space for themselves. So it will be disruptive, right? And I think as we start to again, what we're preparing for as a company and our next gen company is to look to the fact that we have these. Uh, environmental targets, right? We have uh, this, uh, this, this carbon or this reduction of carbon or net zero target of 2030 to be fully implemented by 2050. We have to change. There's just no question about it. We have to change. If we, we don't, like, I mean, then it's just, we're giving, you know, just a bunch of lip service to uh, a permagnet problem. Like, again, we, we, we are the biggest violators when it comes to landfill contribution we are the biggest violators you know when it comes to greenhouse gas emission um i think they i don't know the forecast or the prediction was that i think we contribute to eight percent of the uh, the greenhouse gases in 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 canada and you know how do you how do you move from that 
you know, so when we think about bringing the manufacturing in essence to the job site, we're limiting our transportation, right? We're bringing the quality control rate to the job site. And we believe that using automation will bring uh, a high level precision, uh, a lot more predictability, uh, bring a safer construction site uh, forward. And, you know, um, just dream, you know, play with creativity uh, and design that conventional construction will not be able to compete against. They will not be able to compete with it. So um, not to say that they can't build it, but I just don't think in the degree and the vein of how we see our workflows, we don't see the industry uh, being able to compete in time. And then especially if we work with clients, even with ourselves, as we develop 10 of 20 of 30 of, of really repetitive designs, uh, that's where value is going to start to present itself because we will get faster with the, the well, innovation sure. and pull the materials. Out, pull the design out of the shelf and just redo it, right? I right. Mean, well, it's printable, right? We just customize it, change it for the floor plan, whether this is a forward leaning or a backward setting, you know, whether this is a right hand, left hand, everything's going to be on a little stick, a little bit of USB drive and just plug it into the printer and let her go. But it's, it's a little bit more complicated. It's not well, that yeah, easy, but well, it's, it's but generally speaking, uh, yeah, yeah. No, generally speaking, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's I a, think our listeners are getting more out of this than just a USB stick. But, uh, you know, you, you warned me, Jeff, in the, in the pre-show that uh, you're pretty passionate about this stuff and it, it comes through. It's, it's super exciting. I'm going to be following you guys and this industry. I, I just can't. I love this kind of stuff. I love disruption and software and automation. So I, I wish you best of luck with that. But yeah, before we before we end here, I always ask every guest this question, and I'm going to ask you as well. This is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success, and what does winning look like for you? You know, I had to I had to think about that one <laughs> a little bit, but <laughs> I. Uh... I could say that I see success like for us. This is, it, it's, it's a combination of factors. It's about, for us, delivering exceptional quality and value to our clients. Fought, you know, fostering a dynamic and, and innovative uh, team culture. And then pretty much contributing to the positivity of our industry and, and I guess, the communities we serve. When we think about the win or, or winning, we... I guess not only that we met our clients' expectations, but that we exceeded them. And, and when we provided our team with the opportunity to grow and strive, we believe we'll leave a lasting positive impact on the project that we undertake. So I, I think that for me would, would be the win, uh, win side of things. So. Well, clearly, with the technique that you're choosing to invest in, um, you're, you, know, you and, and Gardon is, is if I can paraphrase what you just said, you just want it to be a win-win for everybody in all, all aspects. Very like efficiency. It's basically efficiency and success, right? Yeah. And, there, and, and we're so close to it, right? We're, we have the ways and means. We just have to figure out that process, right? It, we, it, it's there. It's, it's, it's in front of us, you know, and that's what's really exciting about it. And as we adapt and if we can recognize that we are in this will call forth industrial revolution, I think we will start to understand what our future pathways are going to really look like. And, and I think our, what we think are challenges, I think we're going to see them as, as opportunities going forward, for sure. Great. Well, uh, myself and the audience, um, we will be watching 
And uh, yeah, can't wait to see what's in the future. So I wish you guys best of luck. Well, thanks for having me and thanks for listening to me ramble. (laughs) No worries at all. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more, but WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.